welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Good to have everyone today. We have Marla and Chris and Craig and Pedro. We're taking a little break from Taoist text for the month of September. We're gonna we're reading through Byron Katie's work. It's called The Work. Uh, we started last week and did the introduction. I will have a link that you can download the PDF that we're using in the episode notes if you want to take a look at this. If you've ever had difficulty working your fourth and fifth step. If you're in recovery or in AA, it's a big deal working your working through your fourth and fifth step. A lot of people get drunk when it's time to do their fourth step because they don't want to share that with someone else. And sometimes we get in situations with the fourth and fifth, well, with anything, really, any interaction we're having, how can we see our part in the interaction? You know, what is our part? Because we're we learn that if we can't identify our part, we we really can't apply any solutions that we learn. Her work is all about identifying your part and changing your perspective on it. Had several calls and emails about mostly calls, folks uh, really enjoying last week. The big thing they were talking about was our thoughts conversation. They just did not realize they were not their thoughts, that that was not them. The second thing was the three types of business. My business, your business, and God's business. That was the other that we had a lot of conversation about. That was really good. And it's a very Taoist approach to that. What did she say? Uh, And if you practice this for a while, you will come to see that you don't have any business either and that your life runs perfectly well on its own. That's very Taoist, isn't it? I actually used that in an AA meeting on on Saturday night. We were talking about keeping our own side of the street clean and not getting involved in other people's shit. Yeah, they would definitely apply. That's what I reminded people is there's three types of business. My business, somebody else's business, and God's business. <laughs> How did that go down with everybody? Do you know what? Everybody thinks I'm so wise. <laughs> <laughs> you should have said, you didn't say I heard someone say you took credit I just, for that, Craig. I, I just hope none of them listen to this podcast and think this is where he gets it from. How is um, God's business Dao, Taoist? Do what? Didn't, didn't you just say that? Uh, that was a very Taoist uh, saying. The the part that I thought was very Taoist, Chris, was the very end that said that if you practice this for a while, you come to see that you don't have any business either and that your life runs perfectly well on its own. That okay. your life right. just runs without you, you know, with all your, in spite of us, not because of us. You know, that's the part that I thought was very Taoist. And, well, I agree. Also, yeah, I agree. Also, the three, those three are Taoist too. And for me, Taoist philosophy is all about acceptance. And this is all mm-hmm. about acceptance. It's about accepting the moment for what it is. And 
I've, I've had to do some correction and add a little something in the book too. I'm starting to do a lot of interviews for the book. I've got my third one tonight in the last week. And people think I'm Taoist, like religion Taoist. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, I'm not. You know, it's just a philosophy that applies to any, most concepts of God being love or virtue. It can apply just like AA philosophy usually applies to whatever your religious beliefs are. Same kind of thing. It's the it's application of the philosophy. It's not the religion. So it's kind of interesting. I'm having to reframe some of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, does that make sense, Chris? Yes, it does. Yeah, I've been finding out that um, Buddhism is not strictly a religion too, and it allows for uh, religions that have a god too. Yes, it does. Uh, it, it, Buddhism is more of a practice, uh, more like what AA is, really. And it depends on what uh, flavor of Buddhism that you're that you're going for, too. Mm-hmm. Because you've yeah. been coming some to the Zen stuff, and Zen exactly. Buddhism yeah. is very Taoist. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, if we get time today, I'm going to read a quote from... Uh, uh, Suzuki uh, Roshi's book that I'm reading, not always so if we have, if we can get to it, but it's all about accepting what is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's really. Uh, um, and when you get down to it, Chris, I haven't seen any of these practices that did not believe that there were there were something happening behind the scenes that they could not. um uh, they cannot explain, and some you know everyone looks at that different ways. But that's um, that that's what where a lot of people get to with that. But there's a lot of people in Buddhism that come that that are uh, that don't have a God belief. It seems like they come because they're looking for other people to prove what I got you, Marla. Just a second, oh, sorry. Uh, that they're looking to prove there is no God, and they're looking for other people to help them. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, we get a few of those, but uh, I've yeah. been. There. I've been. There. I was going to say, um, and also answering Chris, I there's a a group of meditators and who formed two groups uh, called Insight Meditation here in the states, or I don't know where they're because now now you can get everything online. Um, Insight Meditation. Anyways, they're all. Um, I want to say like Jewish Buddhists or Buddhist Jews. I don't know, but their base religion is Jew, you know, Jew, Judaism, Ram Das, um, all of them, you know, I don't need to go to the list. Oh. Buddhism lets in for a lot of, you can be whatever you want, but believe in anything mm-hmm. as a higher power, even yourself mm-hmm. in some ways. <laughs> Tao wants you to believe in the structure of the universe. Buddhism works more with consciousness, you know, in the smaller sense for me. And, and, and then, Chris, as those paths get closer together, as we get further up the mountain, so to speak, we start seeing some mm. things look the same. Like in, in the Zen studies, they talk about uh, Joko Beck talks about that if we sit long enough 
and let self fall away, all of it's left compassion. And I'm like, yes, I see that. That's the kind of thing that they, they start talking about. In every Zen book I have read, I can see some form of compassion at some point. And a lot of times we just skip right past it because others don't see it. So I don't, I'll bring it up a lot of times, but I don't, you know, sometimes I, I just let it go. And it's interesting how people try to grapple with that. For me, it's all around accepting the moment, Chris, for what it is and not in learning to accept it before so that I can see if there's something to change. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different idea than I used to have. I used to think that I prayed for things to change and be different and then my life would be better. Instead of accepting things like they are, not good or bad, just as they are. And in the acceptance, I get peace and joy, not in my circumstances. Mm -hmm. That's a total different way of thinking than what. Totally back back to front. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, we, we experience some of that. You know, if you've ever been in a bad situation and you've gotten acceptance about it, I've had peace in situations that were unacceptable. I didn't get peace because the situation changed. I got peace before because I was accepting it as it was in that moment. Not uh, approving of it, but accepting it. Throwing away the approval and disapproval. Not having to do any of that. All right. Page 11. Putting the mind on paper. Who would like to read that for us? Craig. Good. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. (laughs) The first step in the work is to identify the thoughts that are causing your stress and to write them down. These thoughts can be about any situation in your life, past, present, or future, about a person you dislike or worry about, someone who angers or frightens or saddens you, or someone you're ambivalent or confused about. Write your judgments down just the way you think them. Use short, simple sentences. For thousands of years, we have been taught not to judge, but let's face it, we do it all the time. The truth is we all have judgments running in our heads. Through the work, we finally have permission to let these judgments speak out or even scream out on paper. We may find that even the most unpleasant thoughts can be met with unconditional love. I encourage you to write about someone whom you haven't yet totally forgiven, someone you still resent. This is the most powerful place to begin. Even if you've forgiven that person 99%, you aren't free until your forgiveness is complete. The 1% you haven't forgiven that person is the very place where you're stuck in all your relationships, including your relationship with yourself. If you begin by pointing the finger of blame outward, then the focus isn't on you. You can just let loose and be uncensored. We're often quite sure about what other people need to do, how they should live, whom they should be with. We have 2020 vision about other people, but not about ourselves. I think she wrote that about me. When you do the work, you see who you are by seeing who you think other people are. Eventually, you come to see that everything outside you is a reflection of your own thinking. 
You are the storyteller, the projector of all stories, and the world is the projected image of your thoughts. Since the beginning of time, people have been trying to change the world so that they can be happy. This hasn't ever worked because it approaches the problem backwards. What the work gives us is a way to change the projector, the mind, rather than the projected. It's like when there is a piece of lint on a projector's lens. We think there's a flaw on people on the screen and we try to change this person and that person, whomever the flaw appears to be on next. But it's futile to try to change the projected images. Once we realize where the lint is, we can clear the lens itself. This is the end of suffering and the beginning of a little joy in paradise. Comments? That part about the lint and the projector, that reminds me of um, of a story that Joel Osteen tells in his sermons, and he talks about, don't screw your face up like that, buddy. <laughs> the guy's talking... That, Scottish guy quoting Joel Osteen. Go ahead. <laughs> so the guy's, the guy's sitting listening to his wife, and his wife's always talking about the woman next door that hangs a wash now, and it's never clean. So every time she hangs a washing out, she's like, look at that washing. Doesn't she know how to do a washing properly? And she's constantly going on about how untidy this other person is. So one morning she wakes up and she looks out the window and she says, look, finally she's managed to clean a washing. And the poor old boy turns around and says, no, I was that fed up listening to you talking about everybody else. I washed our windows so you can now see clearly out of it. <laughs> so it wasn't anything to do with anybody else. It was to do with her not cleaning her windows. So her not keeping her side of the street clean and projecting her folks onto everybody else. You know, and it says to start with uh, what's disturbing you, basically. And whenever I did my fourth step, and when I do my fourth step with sponsees, they said, where do you want to begin? I said, begin with the things that you think about more than once a day. <laughs> Let's start there. The things that disturb you. Uh, the things you lose sleep over. The things you think about in the middle of the night. The, you know, all of those things that stress us that. Uh, that we regret or, you know, all that. Let's let's start there with the worst of the worst and then work our way out. And that's what she's talking about. What do y'all think about? Go go ahead, Chris. There's a paragraph that really struck me at the end of page 11. Um, I encourage you to write about someone whom you haven't yet totally forgiven, someone you still resent. This is the most powerful place to begin. Even if you've forgiven that person 99%, you aren't free until your forgiveness is complete. The 1%. Here's the thing. The 1% you haven't forgiven that person is the very place where you're stuck in all your other relationships, including the relationship with yourself. And I, I thought that was really interesting how, you know, one relationship affects all your other relationships. Uh, that, that I had to really think about. <laughs> Do you agree with that, Chris? What do you think of that? Oh, you're you're me. Uh, I'm not sure. I I think I need to think about it. Um, um, my first 
reaction is, you know, we're used to compartmentalizing things. People do it, you know, work home relationships. And maybe it isn't good. I don't, uh, maybe that is a real source of problems. So I don't I have to think about it from my own point of view. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Marla, you have something? Yeah. That 90, oh, excuse me. My, that's why I'm not reading. My throat's really dry. Um, that 99, that 1%. And I'm just going to talk specifically about my daughter who hasn't spoken to me since last Thanksgiving for some she just can't forgive me for being me is, is all I can think. You just put it in a nutshell and she's holding on to it, holding on to it. And she's not practicing forgiveness. So what I'm trying to do is practice forgiveness. And I sent her little love messages, you know, every once in a while, um, thinking about you, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I still have, a resentment that she's like punishing me, you know, and it's, it's time for her to be done with it. Fucking grow up. That's it. This is not what we do here. <laughs> you know, I've got all that in my head. That 1%. And what we were read last week talked about. It should be because it is. So. In that situation, she shouldn't be over it yet because she's not. And that's that's the tough part of acceptance. You know, uh, that's the hard part. But I think you got the right approach, Marla. You're um, you're doing virtuous acts for your daughter. And for me, if I'm in a situation like that, I step it up with more of that, or just praying for them, or just wishing them well, and just every time it comes up instead of getting down in it you know thank you for everything you know you know don't not get in my head you know and just uh pray for them and do the things you're doing and some of it you may have to do and not send to her if it's over because if you need to do more to (laughs) to get over it yourself and then you'll realize one day you haven't even thought about it all day wow it, you know, probably not, you know, probably not, uh, but just don't know, but you can't change it regardless. I mean, what what approach could you take? This is all you, this is the best thing you could do, I would think. Beg for forgiveness for something I don't know what I did. You know, no, for no, being- no. you were sending oh. love to her. You were doing all oh. of those things, that side yeah. of it, you know. Yeah, I don't owe her, a, I don't think I owe her a begging for forgiveness thing. You know, anyways. Thank you. Those situations are tough. Pedro, do you have something? Yeah, uh, it was, well, I was just, uh, I mean, I never thought about that. Um, you can partially forgive someone. You, I don't know, you forgive 100% or you don't. I never, I never really thought about it. And as I was reading this, I was remember something that, always happens with me and my mother. And I mean, I still have some, I mean, I, I don't know if I need to forgive her, but I still have some resentments from things that happened in my childhood. Like, like same thing that Marla mentioned. She, I mean, if I didn't go well at school or something like that, she would do those, I don't know, 
communication strikes, you know, she wouldn't even say good morning to me. When I was like, even 15 years old, 14. And I mean, I suffered a lot during that time. And I, I still have some resentments from the past, but I don't really think that I should. I don't know. I told her that before that, I mean, I didn't like that. And that's something that I don't, that I don't plan doing with my kids. I mean, if they don't do something well or they are wrong, we go, we talk, and we fix that in the moment, and we let it go. I mean, there's not, I mean, that's it. Um, I never considered myself someone who's, who used to have resentment about other people. But after joining AA and Fourth Step and this type of reading, I started to think about, and I think I have, I mean, a little bit of my mother with an ex-girlfriend that um, Buddy said that, um, where would you start your first step? I mean, probably her for me. And uh, I don't know, that's something that came to my mind reading this. That's, that's it. Thank you, Pedro. Uh, Craig? So I'm seeing this as something, something maybe slightly different, but I, I don't know if this is going to help. We always, we're always told to forgive and forget. So I'm seeing that 99% as forgiven, but that 1% I'm not forgetting. So by not forgetting, I'm still kind of holding on to that little grudge and resentment, thinking to myself, if I let this person back into my life, this is going to happen again. So I don't know if that helps anybody see the, see the, 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 the importance of that 100%. And I never realized that until I actually started doing this because I've done this with Buddy and we set each other a challenge that we were going to do this on somebody that was on, that somebody was on our fourth step. And I'd done this on mine and I, I genuinely thought I had forgiven this person 100%. But every time I mentioned it, Buddy's like, you couldn't have you couldn't have forgiven him because you're still talking about him. It's still there, festering away in the back of your brain. And I look at it as if you go for treatment at the dentist, it's fine. They can take away the tooth, but they need to get to the root cause of an infection. They have to get it out, get it all cleaned out. Whereas if they just pack it, it's still going to be there and it's still going to keep infecting and rotting away at your at your mind and at your sanity. Pedro, what you were talking about there with your mum and the way that we bring kids up, okay? I bring my kids up probably the exact opposite to the way that I was brought up because I could see the way that it affected myself growing up, okay? I've never hit my kids. Um, I've, I've probably grounded them at some point and they've just completely ignored it. But, you know, I, I really do try to bring my kids up the way that I want to be brought up. And that's with love and respect. Callum is 12. He's turning into such an amazing young man. And I think that's because we just nurture him. We don't tell him what he has to do. He knows the difference between right and wrong. He does push boundaries now and again. But we respect that from him because we think that like, you need to push boundaries in life and you need to see how far you can go. 
And sometimes you need to get your fingers burnt doing things because that's how we learn. I cannot, I, I cannot live Callum's life for him. But you know what? I can be there, nurture him, and guide him. Pick him up when he's pick him up when he's done wrong or, or when he's when he's feeling low. But, but we, we try to instill the you, you never lose, you either win or you learn mindset into him. You know, there's no such thing as failing. There's just other ways that we need to learn to do things. And I think that's a massive shift in the way that I was raised. I was raised in the military, and it was a case of this is how you're doing. You stand by your bunks first thing in the morning, and it was a hellish way to get brought up. We, we were actually, we, we were hit with a belt. I don't know if anybody else has been hit with a belt. You know, it's not pleasant and I really wouldn't want to do that to my kids. So um, I don't know if this isn't a therapy session. I could talk to this, <laughs> talk to the talk to buddy about this tomorrow by looks of it. <laughs> not for long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Craig. Uh, Chris. Yeah, that was great, Craig. Uh, I agree with all that 100%. It's really cool to see to hear that. Uh, but in this conversation, we haven't been talking about how um, a resentment in one relationship can affect other relationships. Do you see what I mean? That's that's what I'm reading in that paragraph there. And in fact, it can affect the resentment here can affect all your other relationships. And uh, how, how does that happen? How does that work? <laughs> I haven't, that would be interesting. For me, Chris, I'm thinking that that's more about when I don't forgive someone, it's normally from a fear of mm -hmm. some type that I'm trying to, to uh, protect. And if I'm allowing fear in one part of my life, it's going to show up in other parts of my life, too. So I, I think about it that way, um, because we don't live isolated. All of our relationships and ourselves are affected any time that we hold resentment. And that forgive and forget is very important because a lot of people, there's a difference between not forgetting and holding it against them and saying, Oh, I just need to pay attention and not let that happen again. There's a big difference between those two. And uh, I have someone in my life that I have to watch. I mean, I had to forgive them for something they did, which was real shitty that they did. And then, excuse me, but I have to see them. So what I do um, is I just keep them at arm's length and I know not to allow myself to get in that situation again to where it would happen again. So, and I think that's how that works, but when we hold that resentment, it's hurting us. It's not hurting them. Greg. Do you think sometimes it's because we're not willing to accept our partner a hundred percent? It's not so much the fact that we're not willing to forgive them, but maybe I'm not willing to accept a hundred percent of well, we, my we, partner. We've never been taught those things, Craig. Yeah. We've never been taught that. And that's part of the, that's one reason I wanted to look at this because this is a good tool that we can use in our fourth step to, and anytime in relationships that we have an issue and we don't know how to get past it, you know, what to do. And this gives some really good tools to, to work that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Any other questions before we go on? 
Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about filling out the worksheet. And she's got an example of her worksheet. And I want you guys to be thinking about, and between now and next week, maybe to fill out the worksheet on something you have yourself that you want to use. And then we'll go through it with everyone. And if it's the stuff we don't want on the podcast, we can cut the podcast off. It's more important for us to go through this. So if anyone's got something they really want to talk about that they don't want put out, you know, in, in podcast world, we can do that. Um, I invite you to contemplate for a moment a situation where you're you are angry, hurt, sad, or disappointed with someone. Be as judgmental, childish, and petty as you were in that situation. Don't try to be wiser or kinder than you were. This is a time to be totally honest and uncensored about why you were hurt and how you felt in that situation. Allow your feelings to express themselves as they arise without any fear of consequences or any threat of punishment. Here is an example of a completed Judge Your Neighbor worksheet. That's what she calls this worksheet, Judge Your Neighbor. I have written about my second husband, Paul. In this example, included here with his permission, these are the kinds of thoughts that I used to believe about him before inquiry found me. It wasn't before I did inquiry, before inquiry found her. thought that was good. As you read, you're invited to replace Paul's name with the name of the appropriate person in your life. Okay, this is this is the worksheet. In this situation, who angers, confuses, saddens, or disappoints you and why? I am angry with Paul because he doesn't listen to me. Number two, in this situation, how do you want them to change? What do you want them to do? I want Paul to see that he is wrong. I want him to stop lying to me. I want him to see that he is killing himself. That sounds fairly legitimate. This is, you know, her husband. In this situation, what advice would you offer them? Paul should take a deep breath. He should calm down. He should see that his behavior frightens me. He should know that being right is not worth another heart attack. Four, in order for you to be happy in this situation, what do you need them to think, say, feel, or do? I need Paul to hear me when I talk to him. I need him to take care of himself. I need him to admit that I am right. Wow. Number five, what do you think of them in this situation? Make a list. Remember, be petty and judgmental. In other words, just get out exactly how you feel about it. Paul is unfair, arrogant, loud, dishonest, way out of line, and unconscious. Six, what is it about the situation that you don't ever want to experience again? I don't ever want Paul to lie to me again. I don't ever want to see him ruining his health again. Okay. That's the start of the worksheet. Uh, and then next, we start inquiring and using that. Okay. And these are the worksheet tips. With the first statement, be sure to identify what most upsets you in that situation about the person. 
as you fill in the statements, imagine yourself in the situation that you have described. List what you wanted him or her to do in this situation, no matter how ridiculous or childish your wants were. Be sure that your advice is specific, practical, and detailed. Clearly articulate step-by-step how he or she should carry out your advice. Tell him or her exactly what you think he or she should do. If the person followed your advice, would it really solve your problem in statement one? Be sure that your advice is relevant and doable for this person. Did you stay in the situation described? If your needs were met, would that take all take you all the way to happy or would it just stop the pain? Be sure that the needs you have expressed are specific, practical, and detailed. Next, she talks about the inquiry. These are the questions. This is the part I really like. Okay, now these are the questions that you ask about the worksheets you filled out. This is the question she's going to ask about Paul, in other words. First, is it true? Is what you're thinking really true? Or is it true? Yes or no? If no, move to question three. Second question. Can you absolutely know that it's true? Number three, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? Back to believing thoughts again. It's back to the thoughts that we can choose to believe or not, right? And four, how would you be without the thought? And then the next part, I think, is really like a five. Turn the thought around then find at least three specific genuine examples of how the turnaround is true for you in this situation. And she's fixing to do that. So we'll go on to that. Uh, Using the four questions, let's investigate the portion of statement one, the worksheet that is the cause of your reaction. Paul doesn't listen to me. As you read along, think of someone you haven't totally forgiven yet, someone who just wouldn't listen to you. And then she goes through what the four questions mean first. As you consider the first question, is it true? As you consider the situation again, ask yourself, is it true that Paul doesn't listen to me? Be still. If you really want to know the truth, the honest yes or no from within will arise to meet your question. As you recall that situation in your mind's eye, let the mind ask the question and wait for the answer that surfaces. The answer to the first two questions is just one syllable long. It's either yes or no. Notice if you experience any defense as you answer. If you answer includes because or but, this is not the one syllable answer you're looking for, and you're no longer doing the work. You're looking for freedom outside yourself. I'm inviting you into a new paradigm. So ask yourself, is this true? And be still. And if you're honest, the right answer will arise to meet the question. And it's either yes or no. Question two. Can you absolutely know that it's true? Consider these questions. In that situation, can I absolutely know that it's true that Paul isn't listening to me? Can I ever really know when someone is listening or not? 
Am I sometimes listening even when I appear not to be? All right. Question three, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? How do you react when you believe that Paul doesn't listen to you? How do you treat him? Be still, notice. For example, I feel frustrated and sick to my stomach. I give him the look. I interpret him. I punish him. I ignore him. I lose my temper. I start talking faster and louder and try to force him to listen. Continue your list as you witness the situation. Allow the images in your mind's eye to show you how you react when you believe that thought. Does that thought bring peace or stress into your life? Remember, we're still back to believing thoughts. We're still on that. What images do you see? What past and future and what physical sensations arise as you witness those images? Allow yourself to experience them now. Do any obsessions or addictions begin to appear when you believe that thought? You act out on any of the following. Alcohol, drugs, credit cards, food, sex, television, computers. Also, also witness how you treat yourself in the situation and how that feels. I shut down. I isolate myself. I feel sick. I feel angry. I eat compulsively. And for days, I watch tel- television without really watching. I feel depressed, separate, resentful, and lonely. Notice all the effects of believing the thought, Paul doesn't listen to me. Huh. That's like you were talking about, Chris, that how one thing can can have influence on everything else. That's what she's explaining there. Four, who would you be without the thought? This is a very powerful question. Picture yourself standing in the presence of the person you've written about when they're doing what you think they shouldn't be doing. Consider, for example, who you would be without the thought, Paul doesn't listen to me. Who would you be in the same situation if you didn't believe that thought? Close your eyes and imagine Paul not listening to you. Imagine yourself without the thought that Paul doesn't listen to you or that he even should listen. Take your time. Notice what is revealed to you. What do you see now? How does that feel? Now, here's the turnaround. The original statement, anyone, if anyone's got a comment, raise your hand. I'll just keep reading unless someone interrupts me. The original statement, Paul doesn't listen to me, when turned around becomes, I don't listen to myself. Is that turnaround as true or truer? Now identify examples of how you don't listen to yourself in that very same situation with Paul. Find at least three specific genuine examples of how this turnaround is true. For me, one example is that in that situation, I was out of control emotionally and my heart was racing. Another turnaround is I don't listen to Paul. Find at least, is that the same thing? Okay, uh, I don't listen to Paul. Find at least three examples of how you're not listening to Paul from his perspective in that situation. Are you listening to Paul when you're thinking about him not listening to you? A third turnaround is Paul does listen to me. For example, he put out the cigarette he was smoking. He might light another one in five minutes, but in that situation, even as he was telling me that he didn't care about his health, he was apparently listening to me. 
for this and each turnaround you discover, always find at least three specific genuine examples of how the turnaround is true for you in this situation. After sitting with the turnarounds, you would continue a typical inquiry with the next statement written on the worksheet. In this case, I want Paul to see that he is wrong. And then with every other statement on the worksheet. Comments? Can we do an example? Can we talk through an example? Yeah, let's. Can we do that? Sure. Start. Okay. You just gave us one with Paul, but if we have a personal example, I'm sure we could do that. Okay, let's let's go. Let's go. Okay. So I am angry with Buddy because he doesn't validate my ill feelings towards other people and takes everyone else's sides in the arguments. Oh. Okay. Is that true? True that you take sides or true that I'm angry with you? Or is it true that I take sides? And you absolutely know that that's true. It feels like it. <laughs> See, you already have a little bit of insight and you just, with the first little bit, like, hmm, I could be seeing. And, and it's what my friend Karen Casey says. Can I see this another way? No, can I see yeah. this differently? Mm-hmm. And what I thought when you said that, is it true? And I actually I just I did actually stop and think. I thought, hang a second, how do I know what side buddy's taken? How do I know what perspective he's seen it in? I don't. No. So straight away, I don't know that it's true. Yeah. And it's probably there's probably no need to go any further with it, you know? Yeah, and that's good. But what I would then need to do is recognize why I feel that way about what's going on. What I'm really looking for is somebody to validate my defects. So what I would need to really look at is the fact that it's not the fact that Buddy takes everybody else's sides. It's the fact that Buddy is pointing out my defects of character, which he is allowed to do as my sponsor, because the conversations we would usually have is, look, you know, is, is that true, Craig? Do you do you really think that? Or is this just some is there some part of you that, that's having this discussion with yourself? Is there some part of you that's been affected? So we'll do a fourth step on it. You know. What's, what's really been affected? What, what, what part of you has been affected by this person? Be your ego, pride. You know, so then what I'm doing is I'm validating my own feelings, but then realizing the fact that I still have work to do on those feelings. So what's that? And then need to recognize what my partner, Chris, helped me out because I can see you thinking. Yeah, for me, it's. Uh usually a resentment like that um, comes about because I'm not getting the response that I expected. And I have an expectation <laughs> that something is going to happen from the result of my saying something. And eh, either, either uh, that person has heard it, processed it and said, instead of saying F you, they just don't say anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um 
and uh, um, it's nice realizing that, that's for sure. So then it gets right back in your face. All right, what's my part in it? Am I being reasonable? In my, I, what I'm saying, is that reasonable? <laughs> this is very good. Yeah. You, you know, uh, Marla? So, so when I do that fourth stepping and I start looking at my part in it, I, I start getting so angry at me. It's me I'm angry at and no one else. That sucks. Well, can you take that a step further and ask what you're afraid of? I'm afraid of fucking living. It's scary out there. Well, can you see how you've always been taken care of? Can you find gratitude in your life? Tons of gratitude. I have a wonderful family. And everybody's healthy. I have everything I need. I don't ha- I don't lack in gratitude. That's, I'm all right. That's where I have to go, Marla, because I mean, there's things in the last couple of years I hadn't been happy about. Decisions I've made that I'm not, don't know whether... If I wanted to go right and wrong, I don't know whether, you know, they don't appear at the moment to be good decisions, but I don't know. But I know that it's going to work out because it always does. It's always worked out for me. Always. So understand I've always been carried and taken care of. It's it's if I can stay there, I don't get into the woulda, shoulda, couldas. I know. And well, here, here's what I was going to add on is that in, at this time of the year in our religion is the, the high holy days where you, um, you do a, basically like steps two through 12 turbo, turbocharged speedo. And you ask for forgiveness. You look at everything you, you've said to people, whatever, you just beg for forgiveness and ask for self-forgiveness also. So what I under, started to understand is that I don't, although I understand that there's a higher power for me, I understand I've been taken care of. I don't have a good relationship, a good enough relationship with, with that. It's just, I know it's there. And I, I'm grateful that everybody's taken care of, but I feel really blank, blank about it. I, I'm not sure how to, if I'm explaining that. I feel like this is the way it's supposed to happen. Let me ask you this. When you said you don't have a good relationship with your higher power, I thought about, well, does Marla have a good relationship? I thought about God as being loved then. I thought, does Marla loves people? Does she have a good relationship with love? Hate people. Um, well, you have people, you've told me. I know, you know, you don't hate everybody. I know but, you don't. But the way I, I was trying to de- to describe it to somebody is, I have an understanding of my HP in the bigger sense, the the block, the shift keys HP. It's the little HP that I'm not fully in touch with because like everybody in, who starts addiction when you're a teenager, that's when you're supposed to start forming yourself. Well, you know what? The, the addiction, you know, takes that and goes, oh, sorry, you're going to stay right where you are, bitch. And dudes. Hmm. I thought you were going to ask, do we have a good enough relationship with ourselves? That's, that's the question. 
but with little HP because yeah, there, you know, it's all inside. So my commitment to myself this year is to really work on that, connecting with that. And I hate those stupid, you know, unicorn words, but I need, you know, I need to, that's what I'm lacking is like, I need to love this higher power a little bit better. Well, you know, all these people around us are mirrors to show us what we really think about ourselves. And then when we start seeing ourselves differently, we start seeing other people differently. Well, like my sponsee that his wife came in fussing at him. He says, okay, I don't have time for this tonight. What are you afraid of? Let's just get down to what the real problem is. (laughs) He saw it differently. You know, she wasn't attacking him. She was afraid of something. So he could come at it from a totally different view and not take her actions personally. Key to that's what this whole thing does for us in in my thinking is teach us how to flip this around and look at why are we thinking about them that way? Why are we? It's because there's something with us always, correct? It's, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking that it's usually because I hold people in, um, I have this massive expectation on people to perform the exact same way that I do not remembering at the time that everybody is different. Not everybody has the same capabilities. Not everybody is, not everybody has the luxury of sitting with a sponsor. Not everybody has the luxury of sitting in a group like this, talking about the stuff that's going on and how can I better myself? I very quickly forget that other people have other things going on in their life. They're maybe not performing as well at work because maybe, maybe the kid's been sick or maybe you know they're having problems with the wife or the, maybe the wife's ill. I'm very, I'm very quick to judge people. And it was interesting that this came up because she did mention we love to judge people. And I've caught myself doing this a couple of times. I was out from a walk one morning and I had this southern accent in the back of my voice and saying, well, who are you to judge? Who, who who all of a sudden made you qualified to judge other people based on what your perception of them is? You don't know what's going on in their life, so, you know, cut them some slack. Start treating with people with a bit more love rather than the fear of them not living up to your expectations because it is incredibly unfair on everybody else. You can't judge someone else without judging yourself, Greg. Yeah, there's no way you can do that. See, that's the whole point. Yeah. To learn that's how to and that's what this voice was. And turn yeah. the light around. That's what this voice was. Yeah. That's what that voice just said to you. Yep. <laughs> it works with my resentment against my daughter, isn't that I turn it around and I have to be, I'm the parent. Mm-hmm. I need to be loving. I need to feel loving towards her. And it chip away, you know, this is a time of year I have to uh, really step up into that. And that's that's the thing as well, because I'm, I'm just thinking about Callum here, right? Is it Callum's job to love me? Or is it Callum's job to be loved by me? Consider it a job. You love him. Yeah, but, but well, is, is, is it, you know... Okay. Sorry, and you go, Chris. His job is to take care of himself, is to follow mm-hmm. his 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 nature. And I think 
you know, that that's one thing. If you're, if you got to make sure you look at the motive, but you've got to take care of yourself. If you're doing it for, for spite or if you're doing things you enjoy or like for spite or rub somebody the wrong way or whatever, then that's, that's not good. But if you're genuinely working for your own, you know, nurturing yourself as, as well as you nurture your boy, uh, you'll be a whole lot more able to nurture your boy as well. <laughs> and that's one thing I've really taken to heart with, with AA is um, nurturing myself and standing my ground in relationships, you know, not backing down or giving in. So. Ugh. This, the St. Francis prayers playing very loudly in my mind at the moment. Thank for yes. Yeah. To understand, to understand rather than be understood, and to love rather than to be loved. How about the 49th verse of the Tao Te Ching? The masters don't make up their minds, they turn their thoughts to other people. They're good to good people, and they're good to bad people. This is real goodness. That's what we're talking about. Real goodness. See, that's the Tao in action, Chris. It's a way of virtue that when we drop self, it's just the natural thing to do. Yeah, that's good. I was looking for the turn the light around. I know that's here somewhere. You know, I just heard this one saying from a, a coach, Colleen, you guys might know her. She, you know, we used to think, I used to think, we all used to think probably, I can't do anything without my, you know, drug of choice or drug of no choice. How can I have fun without it, you know, without? And then she turned it around with, how did I have fun on so much alcohol? It's like, and really, at a point you say, you, I mean, it was at that point, it was like, I didn't ever have fun. I was barfing. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the paradigm shift. That's that's when we that's when we have a complete shift in perspective. Like you know, um, you know, when something crops up and we say, "This is why I drink," and then you get a little bit of time under your belt, and then you have that shift in perspective, and you're like, "Seriously, this is what I drank over? Really?" <laughs> so it's that it's that mindset shift that um, most of us have at some point that completely changes the relationship it, it did with myself it completely changed the relationship of wanting to have alcohol in my life to then realizing that I didn't need it in my life and then I don't want it now bravo I'm, I am too now that I'm helping my parents out you know like being their assistant if I were like using or drinking or whatever I could not show up for them and make sure that the rest of their lives are happy. Yeah. It'd be miserable for me, and I'd be a miserable bitch. So I'm so glad I'm sober. Hey, this is the 70th verse of the Tao Te Ching. Value the valueless. My teachings are easy to understand and very easy to put into practice, yet few do. My words have an ancient beginning. The affairs of men are by design. 
People are ignorant of that design, so they do not follow my ways. Turn. Hold on. I messed. I hit my button here. Hold on. Come on. There we go. Turn the light around and surrender your way within, and you will reach your inner treasure. Therefore, the sage appear. Therefore, the sage values what appears to be valueless, but in reality is the most precious. Yeah, why should I forgive them? Right? <laughs> They're the ones that hurt me. Why do I need to? What do you know? They owe me forgive. Yeah, let they, them for you know that whole thing. You sound like somebody doing his eight step. Yeah. Well, that's what this is good for. That's what, that's what AA does, is it helps me to step out of the way and let life happen. And my problem was always controlling and dominating and thinking I had everything figured out and obviously did. Okay, we're all, we're up on the hour. Uh, I'm going to skip the next session. She goes more into the questions. I want to move next week over to page let's talk about the turnaround on 33 we'll start there because i want to talk about the turnarounds to get used to doing that that's the hard part and then we go to the q a where she talks about the questions and answers so you want us to come up with a couple of things next week sure yeah and then let's do some turnarounds on that and see, see how, see if we can see ourselves in those things. Real life situations. Like, like a turn, another turnaround for Craig's would have been uh, that if I take other people's side, eventually he would get to the one that said, hmm, do I take other people's side? You know, do I do the same thing that I'm accusing Buddy of doing? So, you know, that's, you know, that kind of thing is how it, oh, that's hard, isn't it? But, but I'm always doing the same thing. That's where uh, the freedom is, though. Yeah, I, I just want to point out. I, I just want to point out. Buddy does not take everybody else's sides. Buddy will call me out on my bullshit there and then and say, you know, this isn't them. It's you. Let's sit and work on you and forget about everybody else. So <laughs> I just yeah, used had a recurring thing about work. It was a guy at work, and he kept mentioning him. I said. He's I've forgiven him. I said, no, you haven't. You keep talking about him. That's not what you do when you forgive somebody. You don't keep talking about it. No, not all the real estate it takes up. And then no. I think I used I think I used the line, you're supposed to be my friend. He says, no, I'm your, I'm your sponsor. I'm not your friend. <laughs> I haven't used that one too. Um, all right. Anything else, guys, before we close? No, have a good day. Thank you so much. We'll take it from there next week and maybe finish up. Y'all have a great week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.